Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Please note this episode was recorded before Army Hammer's public statement of innocence on February 4th, 2023. On the outside, he may seem like the perfect guy, handsome, rich, famous, But behind closed doors, he revealed a darker, twisted side that no one knew about. Multiple women have come forward with shocking allegations about the sexual appetites and actions of the one-time golden boy, Army Hammer. Now, you might think you've heard it all, but I promise you, you haven't. You have never heard accusations like this. In the era of the Me Too movement, we rightfully want to protect women from predatory men who abuse their power or abuse their boundaries. But how is that different when you're talking about intimate partners? I'm Sarah Azari, and this is Death by Fame, Army Hammer. Welcome to Death by Fame, the companion podcast to The Price of Glee and Death by Fame on ID and Discovery+. Plus. Hosted by me, Sarah Azari, criminal defense lawyer in Los Angeles. Now, I've represented big criminal cases at the state and federal level, and I've seen the special brand of crime and scandal that thrives in Hollywood firsthand. These are crimes that are fueled by ambition, addiction, jealousy, and the quest for fame itself. This episode is going to be fascinating and perhaps quite disturbing. Today, we're talking about Army Hammer and the accusations of sexual sadism, intimate partner abuse, and even claims of cannibalism. Army Hammer's life seemed to be the pinnacle of perfection. He was rich, famous, and on track to be a fixture within the Hollywood elite. Now, most people dream of living the life of Hammer. A gorgeous actor seemed to be happily married, an heir to a massive oil fortune. In 2010, life only got better. Army not only married actress and entrepreneur Elizabeth Chambers, but also received his big breakout role starring as the Winklevoss twins 
in the social network. Sounds like the ultimate Hollywood fairy tale. But in 2020, that story took an unbelievable turn. Army's facade began to crack. He and his wife divorced, and a year later in 2021, shocking allegations of abuse and cannibalism came from an Instagram account called House of Effie. Days after the user behind the House of Effie account came forward, multiple other women also came forward documenting their respective horror stories of abuse at the hands of Army Hammer. On February 3rd, 2021, LAPD's West Bureau announced that they have started a formal investigation into allegations against Hammer. The investigation is still ongoing, but no charges have been announced against the actor. The public ran with these stories. They were salacious. They were different. They were shocking. And the allegations became national news for several weeks to follow. By February 2021, Hammer was forced to walk away from several films that were in production and WME, his agency, stopped representing him. Through his attorney, Hammer continued to deny all the accusations, saying that all of the relationships and all of the sexual contact was consensual. Consent seems so simple, and yet it's so darn complicated. My guest today is Deputy District Attorney Lisa DeRudy, a 25-year veteran prosecutor of the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office. For the past 15 years, Lisa has been a senior DA in the VIP unit, which prosecutes both domestic violence and sexual assault cases. Lisa and I are going to jump into the disturbing details of sexual assault in a relationship, the protocol for prosecution, and the laws offering protection for victims. And of course, the issue of consent. Now, one note I want to make for our listeners is that because Lisa is still a DA with the LADA's office, she's an active DA, that is her job, she cannot comment specifically on any case that her office has reviewed, worked on, or is currently under investigation or pending. And the Army Hammer case is certainly a case that went to her office for review. She has no relationship with the case personally, but regardless, will not be commenting on the Army Hammer case directly during this interview. Today, I'm joined by Lisa DeRudy, Deputy District Attorney Extraordinaire of the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office for the past 25 years. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and a friend you. of mine. I've known Lisa for the past decade or so. We've been on opposite sides of cases. And one of the reasons I asked her to join me on this episode of the podcast is because of the tremendous respect I have for you in that she is one of the prosecutors who really takes the oath of her office seriously and looks at every case with a really fair and objective eye and does the right thing, whatever that is. And that really matters. And that is how a prosecutor should be. So I respect her tremendously and she's so incredibly knowledgeable. And I think it's going to be really valuable for our listeners to hear what she has to say about how sex crime cases are brought into the system, what's looked at, what's considered, and then how they move through the system in L.A. County, where most Hollywood cases end up. So, Lisa, how much of your experience in the DA's office has involved the review of sex crime allegations to make a decision whether or not to file charges? I'd say 
I do that probably every day. In fact, I did it just this morning before I drove here. That's a huge part of our day is reviewing cases. So I probably review five to 10 a month. Have you personally had charges that you ever reviewed that involved a famous person, a Hollywood celebrity, and, you know, a high profile individual? Yes. You have in your career? Yes. Okay. It hasn't. I mean, I wouldn't say they were to the level of A-list celebrity, but media attention. Right, right, right. And does that add a whole new layer of sort of pressure on you and how you view the evidence and what you do with the case, given that you know the media is on it? <laughs> Once you've decided to file the case, then yes, that makes a huge difference in that you know that there's going to be scrutiny. You know that every step that you take is going to be watched. And so, you know, there's more pressure on you to cross every T and dot every I. And I'd say more importantly, when you know that you're dealing with a celebrity, you know that there are going to be some immense resources coming at you. And so you have to make sure you have an airtight case, because if there is a weakness, the celebrities will hire a team to go after that weakness. I want to just remind our listeners about one thing because it's based on what Lisa says. People say that poor people don't get the same justice as wealthy people. That is true. And it's because of the access to those resources. You can have a great public defender. I know a lot of public defenders are great lawyers who will do a great job, but they don't have those resources that Lisa's referring to. They don't have the jury consultants. They're not going to put money into getting the best expert. You will get what you need. You won't get all the bells and whistles and the extras and the great experts that are nationally renowned. That's true. But also, if you have a good prosecutor and if you're guilty, you can spend all the money you want, but you're still going to be found guilty. When it comes to celebrity defendants, I mean, as a defense attorney, I always wonder if it's a money grab. That's the first thought that comes to me as a defense, right? Because often I'm talking about accusations of sexual assault. Money might be a motive. Do you consider facts that go to financial motive when you're making a filing decision that involves a high profile person? Money is always a factor that you consider. But in my experience, that's not something that I right away consider because just coming forward and making that allegation against a celebrity is so traumatic for a victim that I just think that there's easier ways for a victim to make money off of a celebrity than to make that accusation, in my opinion. So I don't assume that at all. I think the opposite. I think for the person to come forward and accuse a celebrity, it's more likely that maybe something has happened because who wants to accuse a celebrity and have all the media and the cameras on you that's my personal opinion, but, but I still look at the evidence the same. We played the devil's case. advocate. What about the person who wants their like 15 seconds of fame? I know it's a horrible way to get fame, right? But fame is fame for some people. And sometimes it's like aligning themselves with a celebrity, even in the most horrific circumstances. I know it's not what you and I would think is normal or would want to do, but there are some instances where people think it's worth it. The flip side of coming forward and accusing somebody, I think, is so traumatic and such an ordeal 
that I don't assume that at all. In my opinion, wouldn't it just be easier to just date them and get as many gifts as you can and make the money that way instead of accusing them of a crime? I don't assume that right away. I I know that that's a possibility. Anything is a possibility. And of course, we consider all kinds of things. We consider dynamics. Right. Mm -hmm. We consider maybe the person found out that he was dating somebody else too. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. could be jealousy or it could be money. But I don't assume any of those things, but it is one more factor to look at with Mm -hmm. celebrity. It's a factor that you look at with celebrity that you wouldn't look at for Joe Schmo that doesn't have any money, right? Absolutely. Right? The focus of our conversation today will be around sex crimes between adults who can consent. So for our listeners who don't know me and look me up on the deep dark web, it's important for you to fully understand who I am and who I advocate for. In the context of domestic violence and sexual assault cases, I'm a criminal defense attorney and I mostly represent those who are accused of violating the penal code in some way, whether it's sex crimes or domestic violence with respect to the conversation we're having today. My clients are both men and women, obviously mostly men because that's what the statistics support. But I also sometimes represent men who are victims. I also represent women who are defendants. So it's not gender specific. But I also advocate for victims, true victims of crime, people that on occasion, they go to the police station, they try to make a police report for some reason, either they're not believed, they don't have the right evidence to present, their case just kind of gets swept under the bottom of the pile on the detective's desk. They don't know how to navigate the system. I take pride in doing both of those things because as a result, I value credibility way more than if I was just a criminal defense lawyer. I know what it does when somebody comes forward with false accusations because I also represent true victims and I hate what it does to the credibility of true victims. So in this conversation, I might be taking sides. I just want the listeners to know that in my practice, I actually work both sides, okay? And I'm about seeking the truth. That is what I'm about. It's not about male, female, man, woman, accusers lying. No, I want the truth. And that's what I'm after. So when we talked about how you deal with celebrity cases Mm -hmm. when they cross your desk, but like, what if it's a good looking celebrity? Does that matter in a sexual assault case? It does. It. I mean, of course it doesn't matter to me personally, but (laughs) again, when you're evaluating a case as a DA, you're looking at the evidence and what you can prove. What you think happened or what your gut tells you is irrelevant. It's what can I prove? On a reasonable doubt, which is a very hard standard to get by. I have to be thinking, I have to convince 12 people. It's going to be difficult to convince 12 people, especially if you have some women on the jury, that a good looking celebrity who can probably get sex whenever he wants would have to use force to have sex with somebody. So Mm. that's a consideration. Why would you use force if you can get whoever you want? Right. But if you know anything about sex crimes or sexual assaults, you know that it's not about the sex. It's about the power and the control. But the jurors don't know that. Right. Yes. Now, there are multiple women who have made accusations that there's cases where one person comes forward and then other women come forward. This is that kind of case. I'm obviously asking you hypothetically. One woman went to the police But the others only went to social media. So I don't know if that's because they're not desirous of prosecution or they just maybe don't feel like they'll be believed. So how do you handle that? What do you do with people that don't make a police report but are relevant to someone that does make a police report that you're looking at as a victim? So 
Someone can't be a victim unless they make a police report and come to us, right? But we can't force somebody to be a victim. And our office policy is that we can't force somebody to testify in a sex crimes case as a victim if they're not cooperative. So we don't go out and collect victims and force them to testify. So if only one person comes forward to the police, then we're only going to have one victim. If we find out about other people who have accused a suspect, the same person, then we would have our investigators reach out to them and see if they would be willing to testify. Because in the state of California, we have evidence code section 1108, and it allows us to use prior acts of sexual assault to show that the person who's being accused has a propensity to commit that sex Mm -hmm. act. So they would be witnesses, not victims. Right. I mean, unless they wanted to become a victim. And Mm -hmm. usually what happens is, in my experience, they're afraid. They don't want to go through the ordeal. They don't want to have to go through the investigation. They're ashamed. They don't want their family to know. They don't want their boyfriend to know. They don't want their parents to know. And so that's why they don't go forward and go to the police. But then once they are contacted and they know that there's a case and they know that there is a victim who's going forward, all of a sudden they realize that the gates have been opened and they realize that there's already somebody who's going to testify. And then they decide, I want to support this person. And it happened to me too. And of course, part of your job, Lisa, is also to make sure they don't have to relive the trauma, right? You're not going to force them to do anything that's going to traumatize them, right? Right. That's yeah. our, and that's our office policy. Yeah. We, don't, we don't force people yeah. to testify. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. 
I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you're meeting with somebody who's making a sexual assault allegation or domestic violence, or you're reading a police report, you're listening to an audio of their accusations, is it your job to give them the benefit of the doubt? So when I am evaluating a case to decide if I have enough evidence to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, and I'm interviewing the victim, I am, while I'm interviewing the victim, I'm scrutinizing the way that a defense attorney, I wouldn't be doing a good job if I wasn't looking for the pitfalls. So whenever she says something that seems maybe a little odd, you push or back. I push back and I ask, well, why? Why didn't you do that? Why did you, you, you know? You sort of cross-examine Of course, because, of yeah. course, because that's what a jury's going to do and that's what a defense attorney's going to mm. do. But in that scenario, if you have a checklist and somehow nothing turns up that supports what they're saying, does that lead you to the conclusion that maybe they're not telling the truth? No, it leads me to the conclusion that I can't file the case. Okay, so they could very well be telling the truth. Yes. But you don't have sufficient evidence to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt. Correct. Those are two different things. How do you have that conversation with someone who may be telling the truth, but you just don't have enough evidence to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt? Right. That's a good question. The hardest part of my job is having a gut feeling or knowing that someone is a victim and that a crime was committed, but knowing that I just don't have enough evidence to file the case. I've gotten good at trying to explain the fact that I can't file a case to victims, which is really hard because they've already mustered up the courage to come forward. They've had to talk to the police. Then they come to me and they're interviewed. They usually have to go through a a SART exam, which is a sexual assault exam. It's an ordeal for them. And they come in and they tell you what they've gone through and they're usually upset and they're crying and they are reliving it. Studies have shown that their body is physically reliving it. Their body doesn't realize that it's not really happening. Their brain is telling their body that it's happening again. They have the adrenaline and the cortisol and they're really getting their hopes up. And so I have to tell them that I'm sorry, but I can't file the case. And it's difficult, but I have to explain to them the law in California and what proof beyond a reasonable doubt means and that it's a very high standard and that I'm not going to be doing them any favors by filing a case and dragging them through a trial if I don't think we can win. Because that literally is insult to injury. That is the definition of insult to injury. That's another trauma. Seriously. It's traumatizing. For our listeners, the flip side to what Lisa just explained, this idea that victim could very well be a victim telling the truth that a real crime happened to her. But that's different than your ability to prove the crime beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury. It's very similar on the defense side when people say to me, how can you get guilty guys off? you know they did this. Well, it's about the evidence. If the prosecutor was not able to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, 
then constitutionally, this person should not be guilty. doesn't matter what they factually are guilty of. So this idea of factual culpability is very different than what you and I do in court. And it's hard for people who don't do it to understand that there is a difference. It's not the same. You could really have been a victim. You could have really committed a crime. But it's all about what we can prove and show in a courtroom. Now, I'm going to get really down and dirty, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) So sex today, obviously, is a very large and diverse playground. There's just so many different layers of activity, right? And so where is this line between sexual perversions versus sexual assault? And specifically, this idea that, and there's been cases, actually one came to your office not too long ago and it was rejected in Pasadena, is the Trevor Bauer case, the Dodger pitcher. The guy is renowned, he's into BDSM. I mean, he's into rough sex. I mean, there's articles about it. Um, He met up with a girl who was driving over to his house in Pasadena from San Diego. There are myriad of texts and DMs about what she wants done to her, choking, slapping, really violent things. Clearly, they were both into these things. She would come back and she would say, She wants it rougher and harder. These are all documented. Your office reviewed it, rejected it, didn't get filed. And then on the restraining order side, at the end of that case, she lost the restraining order. The judge said, if no means no, then yes has to mean yes. But the problem with this, and this is why I want to have this conversation with you, is that these sort of alternative, violent sex acts are making the whole consent issue, to me, more complicated. How do you deal with that? How do you parse that out? I agree with you. The prevalence of this type of sex and the fact that it's become more common and it's out there on social media and that women and men admit to partaking in those types of sexual acts makes it harder as a DA to prove a sexual assault because it used to be that you could say, well, what woman would want somebody to do that to her? Or she has injuries around her neck. How else would she have gotten them but for force? It's common knowledge that some women really like that. And that could be, even though you have a mark, it could be a reflection of consensual sex. So it creates a gray area. However, no still means no in in that you could have agreed to something. And then all of a sudden you decide you have a headache or you're done or you once no, you decide you don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, the idea of continuous consent. So like my friends who have kids in college, they keep telling their boys, okay, you got to keep asking her. You got to keep asking her. How does that play out in relationships that are dating, but not serious where this rape allegation could come up where the idea is like, okay, last night we had sex and I was okay with it, but that doesn't mean I'm okay with it today. What would you say to the boy in college? Keep himself from getting accused. That's a good question. I have an 18-year-old son. Once a woman or a man communicates to you that they don't want to continue, even if they're in the middle of it and they decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, that's it. Then it's the consent has ended. Now, whether you have to ask every five minutes, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? But as long as there was consent to begin, then I think it's safe for everybody to assume that the consent is continuous. But once someone expresses that I'm not okay with this, Once they say no, then that's it. Then the consent is over. And once you have to use force or overpower somebody to continue the sex act, then that's an sexual assault. And this is why consent is so murky and difficult to prove. You got these two people typically behind closed doors. No one else is there. Usually there's no cameras. And it's like he said, she said, and you have to try to piece 
some of the conduct and the language and the dialogue outside of that bedroom to kind of tell the story. You almost always have to go to a jury trial because you kind of have to let the jury decide whether, you know, whether this was really a no this one time. You right. Know? Well, hopefully you won't be in a jury trial because I know in at least in LADA's office, we wouldn't file that case. We do not file cases on he said, she said. We just don't. Because like you said, there are only two people who know what happened in that room. And so we always require, it's our policy that we require some sort of corroboration. Mm-hmm. Because in sex cases, there's only two defenses. It's either it wasn't me, it didn't happen. Or it's and, consensual. Or it's, it was consensual. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this conversation and the Me Too movement and this discussion will empower people to talk more about what happens in the bedroom and having safe words and having parameters of what is okay. And these celebrities and these athletes who worked so hard to get where they are need to be educated. Just like the Me Too women are being educated about how to handle being a victim, they need to be educated about how to not ruin their life. Lisa, how do you believe fame enables criminal conduct? I don't think I'm really equipped to be able to give an opinion as to their personality type because they're a celebrity. I think the common sense out there is that a lot of them are narcissistic and that's why they're stars and celebrities, right? But I will say that being a celebrity, allows them more access to women or men, and it allows them an ability to probably get away with bad behavior for a longer period of time. Um, Because of their fame. Of course. And because, again, I think victims, they're victimized and then they're all of a sudden in shock and in trauma and trying to decide what to do. And they're realizing that if they go forward, not only are they going against the celebrity, But the celebrity, there's the machine behind the celebrity, right? And that they're going to have scrutiny and that the media is going to be on them. And I think a lot of victims decide it's just not worth it. So, and I think that a lot of these celebrities, after they've realized that the victims are going to be less likely to want to come forward because of that, it emboldens them. And then it's kind of like a lion that's gotten its taste of blood. It's like, oh, wait a minute, I can get away with this. Let me see how much more I can get away with. And they keep doing it. And then each act, they get more emboldened. And unfortunately, that happens. And then finally, it gets so bad that somebody will come forward. And then that's where you have all of the others come back from the past. Yeah, the floodgates open. Right. So when someone comes forward with accusations against not just a celebrity, but even someone who's wealthy or powerful, they are also thrust into the public spotlight, right? There's like a complete disregard for the process and how we refer to victims and accusers. Like you're not a felon until you've proven to be guilty of the crime. You're just an accuser, not a victim of crime until there's proof that a crime was perpetrated. But the mere accusation, when it deals with a famous person, thrusts the accuser into fame and in the most negative light. So can someone who comes forward with the accusations avoid this? I think that from a DA's perspective, we try very hard to keep their their identity confidential. How do you do that? We don't even use their last name in the filing complaints. And in the reports, we don't use their last name. Even in the protective order, we don't use their last name. Everything is confidential. You use initials, right? Right. We use their first mm-hmm. name and their last initial. We keep everything confidential because we're trying to make it easier for them to go through this process. The women who go on social media can't help them there. If they're putting themselves out there with their accusations, then they're signing up for that negative fame. But to the extent it comes to you 
In other words, if it comes to your office, you take these steps to protect their identity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In every VIP Even case. if they're adults. Yes. If, okay. Even in domestic violence cases, child abuse, child molestation, will either use their first name and their last initial or will completely change it and just call them a Jane Doe. When I have to tell a victim that I'm not going to file the case, I do tell them is that they should not be disheartened that they came forward because at least now we have a record. And I tell them a lot of times, look, I only have you. But in two years from now or three years from now, somebody else might come forward and and then another person might come forward and I might be calling you in five years from now to see if you want to go forward because now I've got three victims and it's not just you. And so I tell them it's important that they make the report because that's one of the first things we do when we're evaluating the cases. We run a rap sheet and run them to see if there's any prior reports. And so I think it's important for victims to know that you should still come forward even if we're not going to file immediately, at least it tags the person, right? There's a record of it in your right. office. That, yeah, and I, it makes sense because I think it's it's one of those things where people need to understand that rejecting or declining to file charges is not the same thing as granting immunity. You're not telling the accused, we're never going to charge you. That could change. If charges were filed in a case like this and there's been a documentary on it, like, for example, with Robert Durst, that was actually some evidence that came in and was allowed into this trial. It was a confession that what he said in the bathroom, right? In the mirror. Uh-huh. We don't have the same thing here. It's not an issue of a confession. But do you think that it's helpful or harmful to your case if there is something that's been in the media more than just news, obviously, some docuseries, some movie, some film, something about the case? Well, I mean, I guess it's, it can be helpful if, like you said, somehow or another you get some good evidence, then that's helpful. I think it may be hurtful because now you've got jurors who are being educated before they become jurors and you really want to have a juror that doesn't know anything, right? So the more that it's publicized and the more facts that come out are going to hurt you in that you have jurors that think they already know the facts of the case, or they already have an opinion before they'll they tune out the evidence to some extent, right? Or they- they'll view it in a certain way because they've already come to an opinion. You know, what you don't want is for a juror to show up already with an opinion. And so when you put all this information out into the cloud, you know, people are watching it and they're, we're humans. They're forming an opinion every time they read or see something, you know, they're forming an opinion. How do you think high profile cases that involve allegations of sexual assault, you know, wealthy celebrities, someone with notoriety that end up in the news obviously can impact future allegations of sexual abuse. So I think all of these allegations that of sexual abuse that have been publicized have helped to educate people about what can happen when you're either the victim or the actor in a sexual assault. I think women are now realizing that they can come forward. It's more common to talk about it. There's less shame and less embarrassment. So I'm hoping that women, instead of blaming themselves, feel more comfortable about coming forward. And then I'm also hoping that on the other end, and you're right, the majority of the accused are men. So I'm going to say men, but that men start to keep it in their pants and keep their hands to themselves because they need to learn it's not keep quiet anymore and they're going to come forward. And, you know, I think they're also learning that even if you think that you've got the best team, 
And even if you think you can intimidate or maybe buy your way out of it, it once that allegation's made, like you said, your career's done. And so, you know, maybe that's the blessing in disguise is that you might walk away without a criminal conviction, but your career's still going to be over. So maybe that's what it takes to get them to not be so emboldened. I love this conversation because I'm actually having this conversation with, well, she's a dear friend, but she's also a DA in Hollywood and I'm a defense lawyer in Hollywood. And it's like, it couldn't be a better conversation to people who really get it. Lisa, thanks so much for joining me today. And I hope that we can continue the conversation because these are really, really important conversations to have for our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. Welcome to Sarah's Sidebar. I'm often asked about what's different and unique about the allegations against Army Hammer. I mean, look, from the perspective of the court of public opinion, it can't get more salacious than this. It can't get more disturbing than this. And of course, the more disturbing it is, the more it makes headlines, right? But from a legal perspective also, I think it really goes to the nature of the acts that are being alleged by these different women. Specifically, Effie, who's behind the House of Effie account on Instagram, and the accusations that she's made, the sex acts that are being described by Effie and the other women who've come forward are really violent acts, and some even involve cannibalism. That's what's unique. The allegations are unique in that this is a high profile case pertaining to a celebrity. They make the story even more salacious. But as someone who defends accusations of sexual assault and helps victims of sexual assault get their cases prosecuted, I can tell you that this is the new trend of sexual assault allegations. It's no longer about consenting to what we think of as traditional sexual acts. It's about consent to violence, consent to being hurt and harmed and injured in the course of sex. Working on both sides in the criminal justice system for two decades in this realm, there's nothing that really surprises me. I've seen it all. But I would say that even in the context of BDSM allegations, rough sex allegations, it's not every day that we come across accusations of cannibalism. It's not easy to wrap your head around how anybody would want to consent to any part of their body being devoured. But of course, all allegations are mere accusations subject to proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's where the prosecutor's role in the ability to properly assess whether he or she can meet this high burden comes into play. The question is, is there corroboration of the violent acts and the cannibalism? How is it for the defense to show that even the most wildest and most violent of these acts was actually consented to? That's a really crazy idea that you have to convince a jury about. And of course, the question is asked, how does fame and family fortune play into this case? Look, we can't generalize everybody. Everyone's different. But for Army Hammer, when you look at his sort of overall family history, there seems to be a sense of extreme wealth that brings about some level of entitlement. The idea that a descendant of an oil tycoon can get away with anything and everything, both in the context of relationships and boundaries and when it comes to the law. Infinite wealth and power could translate into infinite boundaries that might very well explain the most outrageous acts that he's accused of. 
It's about violating major boundaries. Is Army above the law since these charges have not been filed? No, that's not what this means. No amount of fame and family fortune will buy Hammer's way out of the criminal justice system. I promise you that. That charges have not yet been filed can be due to a variety of factors. We're speculating. There's an ongoing investigation. They need more. Maybe there's an issue or wrinkle with credibility. They need more corroboration. Maybe there's some hurdles that are not making the DA's office confident that they can prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. Remember, DA's look at charges as how it will look before a jury. Can they prove these charges beyond a reasonable doubt? The highest burden in our justice system. But the case is not quite closed yet. The most that Hammer's fame and fortune and his resources can give him is an advantage in securing the best defense. But I can tell you that even with all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, if the evidence is there, you're not going to buy your way out of the system. You could still be found guilty. That's it for this episode of Death by Fame. Please be sure to join me next week as I will be joined by choreographer and director Paul Becker and him and I will discuss the tragic and untimely death of his dear friend, Stephanie Mosley. Everything stopped. All the chaos around me just became mute. And I was like, how? And he said, I don't really know. I just know that she passed. Don't miss it. Death by Fame is produced by Ample Entertainment for ID. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love for you to take a second and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 